Welcome to the Westminster Pulpit, an extension of the worship ministry at Westminster Presbyterian Church in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Please contact us for permission before reproducing this message in any format, and may this sermon nurture your life in a meaningful way as we proclaim our Savior. We now join Executive Pastor Dr. Tucker York. I invite you to turn your Bible to Luke chapter 10. You know, when you see two clean-cut young men in white shirts and ties carrying a book, you think, oh no, the Mormons are coming. Door-to-door religion, like door-to-door salesmen, can be a major turnoff. In our passage tonight, Jesus introduces a model of evangelism and discipleship by sending out 72 followers into the towns and villages. And in these verses, we find lessons on the mission Jesus was sent to accomplish, expectations he has for his followers, what we are to look for in people's responses, and how we might handle rejection. So what I offer tonight is not necessarily a blueprint for door-to-door evangelism, but rather how we might learn from the Master to be his faithful representatives as his mission on earth advances as his kingdom expansion will one day be complete. Please follow as I read Luke 10, verses 1 through 12. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, in every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide. For the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near you. But whenever you enter a house and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, Even the dust of your town that clings to our feet we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near you. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. This is God's word. Our gracious God and Father, I pray that the words of my mouth, that the meditations of each of our hearts might be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Three years ago, I took uh, with me Lee and Fable Brooks on a a one-week intensive mission trip to Reading, England, about an hour or so west of London, to serve alongside a missionary there and targeting a Muslim-populated community. For several hours a day, we went door-to-door, sharing with people. We went on prayer walks. We worked literature tables. We spoke to people in the marketplaces, seeking to sow the seed of God's word and truth into the minds and hearts of lost souls. We met Muslims, Hindus, atheists, nominal Catholics and Anglicans, and a few evangelicals. Many people were not interested 
but many were interested to talk, to argue. But over the time, we, we did manage to have many fruitful conversations, talking with people about the things of God. We had the privilege of sharing the gospel with several dozen people. Our goal during that week was to identify sons of peace, people who were open, who were teachable, who were interested in hearing more about Jesus and the message of the gospel, and to, and to pass on those contacts to missionaries and to the local churches to follow up, to provide those interested with further instruction and perhaps build a relationship. Pursuing sons of peace, as Jesus describes in this passage, is like the work of a farmer or a gardener who seeks good soil to work with so that he might bring forth a bountiful crop. Some soils are ready to go. Other soils need development to greater or lesser extent, but then there are also soils that are good for nothing. Tonight we want to think about how we can be effective as our Lord's kingdom witnesses as we go about his work pursuing sons and daughters of peace that we might introduce them to the true son of peace. I want to approach this text tonight in three ways by considering preparing for mission, praying for messengers, and preaching the message. In verses 1 through 8, Jesus offers instruction to us on how we might prepare for mission. And I I see in this passage at least six keys to Jesus' mission. First, his is a worldwide mission. It's a mission with, with world and global aspirations. Chapter 9, the previous chapter, we see Jesus sending out the 12. And later on, the number 12 and the 12 disciples represent the 12 tribes of Israel. And they are sent to proclaim the kingdom, to heal to the nation of Israel. But here in chapter 10, we see an expansion. Jesus is sending out 72 followers. In some early manuscripts, Mark 70. But nevertheless, this, these many peoples, these many followers, and the, scholar, and the, and, and the, the thinking of the time, in the Hebrew mind, the world was made up of 70 nations. Harking back to Old Testament understanding of, of known people groups. Now fast forward to this past century, and missiologists have identified more than 16,000 unique people groups, and we still have remaining on earth greater than more than 6,000 unreached people groups. These are people who have no access, no effective access to the gospel, and there's over 4,000 languages that are still in need of a Bible translation. But going back to this text, it's possible It's plausible that in Jesus' mind, what he was doing in chapter 9 was the the mission to Israel. As we see it expanded here in chapter 10, a a mission to the world to reach all nations with the gospel. These 72 followers were, were not in the company of the 12, but under their teaching, under their mentoring, mentorship, they had received training and observed the ministry of Jesus, and now under the oversight of the 12, are going out to preach and to heal. 
Jesus sends the 72 out two by two into towns and villages, offering a framework, a kind of strategy, a foretaste of spreading the good news to every nation on earth. And this vision, this mission is consistent with Jesus' parting words in Matthew 28 to his disciples to go into all the world, to make disciples of all nations. It's consistent with Habakkuk, his vision in Habakkuk 2, that the earth may be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In Jesus' opening words, he says that the harvest is plentiful. So this is not only a worldwide mission, this is also a mission of hope. Farmers spend the larger part of their winters making repairs on equipment, gathering supplies, purchasing seed, and then they head into spring and summer sowing and planting with the hope of reaping a great harvest. But if the farmer knows for certain that he would only reap a pitiful crop. He would not be motivated to work very hard. Our Father in heaven is a master farmer, a master producer who envisions a plentiful harvest. We are assured in Scripture that on Judgment Day, the angelic host will go out to reap all the redeemed souls and fill the storehouses of heaven full represent us from every nation, tribe, and tongue. Jesus sees a plentiful harvest. There is plenty of work, loads of opportunities. He has sons and daughters throughout the world who need adoption. He has scattered sheep in many, many places that must be found. May we not dare look at America and all of its issues and all of its challenges and respond in despair for fear of only a few souls to be redeemed. That is not true at all. The harvest is plentiful all around us. Thirdly, the mission is scarce. The rest of verse 2, Jesus calls his disciples to pray. They are to pray not for the harvest, which is already plentiful, but to pray for laborers who are few. Now we'll return to my second point to address prayer. But yes, the mission is scarce. It's not for everyone. Many people won't accept it. Jesus is like an owner of a bustling business that's growing by leaps and bounds, but it's hindered for a lack of workers. He can't hire fast enough. The people who are out of work want nothing to do with it. They'd rather be content with government handouts. They want their work to be safer or less offensive or more agreeable to family and friends. But the Lord seeks laborers, for the harvest is plentiful. And such laborers must be developed. Session this past week and just approved our missions conference theme for 2021, laborers for the harvest. You can pray even now for that conference and pray for Pastor Walker as he brings that message. As we challenge our congregation to raise up more missionaries developed from within our church. But the fourth key to mission is that it's dangerous. 
Perhaps the biggest deterrent for many laborers is the fact that the mission is dangerous. Jesus doesn't pull any punches. He says clearly, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. A lamb is an easy lunch for a hungry wolf. Sheep are basically defenseless creatures. The Bible describes Satan as roaring, a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Throughout the centuries, the church, God's people, have been bullied and harassed and abused by its enemies. We, in our day and age, are, are kind of a, a unique situation where we enjoy freedoms most people in the world don't enjoy under the rule of law and constitutional freedoms, at least for now. But the majority of believers worldwide live in fear, under threat from ruthless regimes, vicious religious oppression. Nevertheless, Jesus commands his people not to fear, nor to loathe or be reserved to send their own people out into the harvest fields among the wolves. Yes, we are sending lambs among wolves, but sometimes a wolf becomes a sheep. I was reading recently about a faith-based medical clinic in a large Islamic nation. And the locals in that town really appreciated the quality health care that they could get from these Christian medical care workers. But the radical Muslims in the town hated that work, especially the shopkeeper who had his shop across the street from the medical clinic. And frequently this shopkeeper would accuse the infidel Christians of preying upon Muslims, of poisoning them and overcharging them. He would curse the staff by name. He was an angry and hateful man. But then he came down with an incurable cancer. His fellow Muslims quit visiting his shop for suspicion and fear of catching his disease. So now not only was the man sick and dying, but he was able to provide for his wives and children. But the hospital staff began to frequent his shop, purchase his goods, talk with him, ask about his family. They prayed for his health. They treated his symptoms and began to wash his body as he deteriorated. And his hard, stony heart began to soften. His attitude became one of gratitude and friendship. At the age of 57, this hardened enemy of the cross became a believer just before he died. His former enemies enabled him to die with peace and dignity. But he left behind a young widow, his youngest wife of 24 years of age, with four children. And this woman had watched how these Christians had loved her husband, who had railed at them and cursed them. And she too became a follower of Jesus. And outspoken in her new faith, her family and friends tried to silence her but failed. The authorities threatened her and eventually threw her in jail, which was nothing more than a, a, an unfinished cellar, a dirt floor filled with bugs and crawling with rats. She was terrified. But this young woman, this young new believer, cried out. And as she cried out to God, her voice turned into songs, songs of praise to the Lord her God. And then mysteriously, the the police officers above began to be quiet when she would sing. And then one night late, the chief of the police came to fetch her out of 
her cell. And she was terrified. She was suspicious of what his intentions were, but he said to her that he was going to set her free on one condition that in three days she would come to his house because he had observed that she was not afraid. In his home were many wives and daughters and other women who were terrified of everything. And this chief of police wanted her to come and explain to his family why she was not afraid and to sing her songs of praise to the Lord God Almighty. Jesus tells us to not be afraid, to keep on singing and to serve as his witnesses. The fifth key of mission is that it is an urgent mission. Jesus says, take nothing on your journey, no money bag, knapsack, or sandals. Greet no one on the journey but until you arrive at your destination. His mission to the 72 was urgent, like David fleeing from King Saul, stopping in Shiloh to take up showbread and the sword of Goliath. Imagine an owner of a a vast uh, display of orchards across many anchors. Peaches and pears are ripe for picking, and the workers have to be ready. And if they're not ready, the, the fruit will fall from the trees, rot, and go to waste. And so the owner needs laborers and lots of them and to take their work seriously. There's no time to dilly-dally. And the same is true today. People are dying. And entering into a Christless eternity, people are indoctrinated with false religion, with Marxist nonsense and other destructive lies that, lies that inoculate them against the truth of God's word. If we do not tell them the truth, the world certainly will not. And the sixth key is that this is a mission of peace. What are we to look for as we go on this mission? Jesus says we're to look for sons of peace. In verse 5, he instructs his followers to declare their intentions. When they come to a town, when they come to the house, they they are to declare, peace be upon this house. It's a a kind of test to see what what the response will be. And if a son of peace is at at the home, then their peace will rest upon him. Jesus is basically saying, look for people who welcome your message and your presence. Just on Friday, I went to the mosque downtown. I hadn't been there since the pandemic began. I was recognized and welcomed by the leaders. I sat through the prayer service and waited to the end to speak with the imam. And I desired to maintain our friendly relations, but uh, also to learn whether or not they were open to perhaps meeting again this fall to have dialogue about the things of God and from our holy books. And uh, Imam Fuad was very gracious and glad to see me, but he declined Uh, preferring to wait until after COVID uh, to begin to meet again. But in that act, I got the answer I was looking for. I needed to know. I needed to know whether or not to plan for something this fall or to wait for next year. But we will continue to maintain that relationship and pray that we have opportunities in 2021 to meet together with them and present the gospel of God's grace. But his response gave me freedom to focus on other pressing matters that we have before us here and now. Jesus tells the 72, 
to stay at just one home in the places they will go, to eat and drink what they provide, to not simply go from house to house. And I believe the strategy, the principle here is to invest in the few to build relationships. It's a strategy of one house at a time to develop it into a launching pad for ministry. As if it's to say, better to make one disciple who can in turn and convert others and make disciples of others than to scatter our witness thinly across many. In my college years, I had numerous opportunities to witness, but one friendship I developed was with Bernie, a Vietnamese student, a fellow biomedical engineer. We had classes together, we did homework together, and then for a couple years, we were workout buddies together at the gym. Bernie was a great guy, a nominal Catholic, and open and teachable, and I share with him many times and try to answer his questions. He came to campus ministry events with me and grew in developing an evangelical faith. He's now a medical doctor in Alabama, and as I look back upon that time, I realize that was a good investment of my time. Bernie was a true son of peace. So look for people who are receptive, who hunger for relationship, who are teachable, who will also in turn bless you too. Notice that Jesus introduced the principle of compensation. The 72 will be compensated that they will be supported in their labor. Where he says the laborer deserves his wages, which we normally apply to pastors and missionaries, uh, but also is applied to lay people as you invest in people and receive a return on your investment relationally and spiritually. And in the spirit of pursuing sons of peace, look for low-hanging fruit. As some are called to overseas cross-cultural mission. And we should pray that many more would go and heed that call. But most of us are called to be senders, supporters, and faithful witnesses right where we live and work. Jesus tells us to look. The fields around us are ripe for harvesting. He even here at our own church. We're anticipating this fall a, a building that will be busy and bustling with activity. Good News Club meeting here on Tuesday after school. 20 to 30 refugee children coming here on Wednesdays after school for tutoring. We're hosting Bible to school to teach Bible to nearby elementary students here on Thursdays. We have needs for laborers right here, Sunday mornings, Wednesday nights, after-school programs. There's lots of low-hanging fruit in which we can introduce sons and daughters to the true Son of Peace. We now turn our attention to the second main point, praying for messengers. Back in verse 2, the Lord instructed us to pray, but not for the harvest so much, but for laborers. The harvest is the Lord's. The laborers are the Lord's, but they are few. We need more. They must be developed, and our greatest tool is prayer. Pray earnestly, he says. If you're struggling to get volunteers for your ministry, pray. I've had to relearn that lesson over and over again over the years. But, you know, this command kind of begs the question for us to consider how serious do we take the Lord's harvest? How serious do we 
endeavor to see it come to full fruition. You know, if you are not really all that serious about considering a call to overseas missions or taking up a local ministry opportunity, you will not earnestly pray over it. If you are not really serious about seeing your children or others from the church, he had a call to go far away to make Christ known where he is not, then you will not focus or give much attention to it in your prayer life. Are you on board with the Lord's mission to see the nations gathered in, to see our nation healed through revival and reformation? And if so, pray. Pray for missions. Pray for revival. Pray for our missionaries. Pray for our young people to heed a call for it's far easier for them to learn a language and adapt to a new culture to reach the unreached. Pray that the Lord would lead you to sons and daughters of peace to open your eyes and ears to see the opportunities and to receive them and to welcome them into your fellowship. And thirdly, the Lord calls his followers to preach the message. Verse 9 in verse 9, he repeats to the 72 the command that he given to the 12 in the prior chapter to heal and to say to uh, their hearers, the kingdom of God has come near you. These men were commissioned to preach the kingdom, to the announce the arrival of the king whose agenda is to bind up wounds, to set captives free, to declare the forgiveness of sins. This kingdom-shaking news was welcome to some, but not to others. To many, it's music to their ears. That God had not forgotten them. That, that God can be known. That their futile, man-centered days of trying to earn their own way to God were now over. That their bondage of sin and the curse of the law was broken by faith in him who defeated sin, who fulfilled the law, who conquered death forever. But to others, this news was threat, threatening their authority and control over other people, rebuking their false worship of money and power, exposing the folly of their false ideologies. To the one, our message is the sweet-smelling aroma of Christ. To others, it is the stench of death. To some, it's the message of grace, forgiveness, and unbridled joy. To others, it's offensive, oppressive, even ridiculous. Those that are offended, those are offended because Jesus is the only way. That hell is real and lasts forever. That God has the final word on sexual ethics, the spending of our money, the design of the family upon the limited power of the state. Jesus prepares his followers here for rejection because there are those who want nothing to do with us or our message. So Jesus says to the 72, when the town rejects you, write them off. Wipe the dust off your feet publicly warned them. And with a terrifying closing statement, he says it would be more bearable 
for wicked Sodom than for that city on the day of judgment. These words of our master are a humble reminder of our obligation to not only preach the good news of salvation by faith in Christ, but also the bad news of hell as the destination of sinners who are not reconciled to the holy living God. It's sobering for us to live in such a debauched nation. I love America. I love our freedoms, our rule of law, our constitutional republic, our Judeo-Christian heritage. And like you, like many, I wonder, are we under God's judgment? Is the pandemic a sign of God's judgment upon us and other nations? I do believe it's certainly a wake-up call. And certainly many people are responding badly to the present circumstances, but many are waking up, are repenting and turning to the Lord. And so that was the time to be bold, to not mince with words. Beliefs and actions have consequences. Yes, it can be very painful when those who reject the gospel are your own flesh and blood, parents, siblings, covenant children who go astray. But I, I do not believe that Jesus is telling us to write off our family members, nor give up on them, or stop praying for them, or see speaking the truth to them. No, we must still pray and love and serve our family members to witness to them, to be ready with an answer, even while we focus our attention on pursuing sons and daughters of peace as the Lord brings them into our lives. You know, in my house, there is much work to be done. My wife arrives home from Costco and has the groceries, and my boys know to get off the couch, go help your mom to unload the groceries. If you don't work, you don't eat. And they like to eat. Saturday is lawn work on the outside and cleanup duties inside the house. In the evening, we have a schedule for putting away the dishes after dinner. I don't pray for them to do this. I tell them to do this. It's part of the expectation of living under our roof. The Lord has work to do. He sees a plentiful harvest and needs laborers. You know, before the invention of the cotton gin, cotton picking was very, very labor-intensive. But now cotton, corn, and many other crops can be efficiently gathered in by great machines They don't need many hand laborers. But there's still many fruits today, peaches and apples and pears that have to be picked by hands. It's very labor-intensive, just the nature of the fruit. And evangelism and discipleship is a lot like picking fruit. It's not always efficient. It requires great care. And and real discipleship is time-intensive. People require time, attention, and delicate care. The Lord calls us to labor in his vineyard, to seek out sons and daughters of peace. May the Lord equip us to open our eyes, behold the fields that are ripe for harvesting, and use us to bring many sons and daughters to the Son of Peace. Let us pray. Our gracious God and Father, we are grateful that your harvest is plentiful, that you are reaping a mighty harvest. What a privilege it is to be your witnesses, to be your laborers, and I pray that you would 
Equip us and help us to pursue the sons and daughters that you are drawing to yourself. Go with us, lead us, help us to walk in the light and to testify to your grace and truth this week. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. The Westminster Pulpit is courtesy of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. You are welcome to worship with us on Sunday mornings at 8 or 11 a.m. To learn more or have questions about the gift of salvation through Christ Jesus our Savior, contact us at westpca.com. Thank you, and may Christ be glorified through this ministry, the Westminster Pulpit.